just wanted to go around just real quick before we got started. I'm kind of curious where everybody's at as far as um, doing sound and everything. How many of you guys run sound every Sunday at your church? Cool. A couple of you guys. How many of you are worship leaders, but you just kind of want to maybe learn a little more about soundboard? Okay, so a good bit of you guys. How many of you know nothing about sound, but it just sounded like fun? Yeah, all right. Cool, cool. Awesome. Well, that sounds like that's probably the majority of people around those three camps. That's what I was kind of thinking. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a worship leader and a sound guy. I started here in the church at Calvary Monterey running sound. That was kind of the first way I got involved with the church. It was actually um, just jumping behind a big old board that we had. I had no idea how to use it. And I'm just kind of jumping in, just learning some different things, just learning how EQ worked, how speakers worked, and I knew zero things. And our sound guy had left the church, so I was just the young guy who um, had a computer, and so everybody thought that I was the tech guy. And uh, got thrown behind a soundboard and just learned a lot, but made a lot of mistakes. Um, I'm, I'm one of those guys who, I probably should be deaf from all the feedback I've caused in a church service. And uh, I've just done so many different things that I had to learn the hard way. I wish that somebody would have maybe told me some things that could have helped me in those first couple of years of doing sound and um, saving myself from embarrassment in people's ears. And uh, so today I just wanted to go through just a few things that I think might be helpful for you guys as you're running sound in your church on a weekly basis. Things that can um, help your, your overall mix feel good. Um, things that... Um, are just pleasant to listen to. Maybe talk about some troubleshooting things. If you guys have some issues that you're going through at your church, I'd love to be able to talk about those today. So what what I was thinking was kind of taking this in a couple of movements. One was first the the preparation, the kind of self-preparation for getting ready for Sunday, what that looks like for us as sound engineers, and then talking about the practice and kind of talking about um, running an effective sound check, line check, and rehearsal, and talking about any kind of troubleshooting things that you guys want to talk about. We have about an hour here to talk about things, and so um, I thought we could have some time to do that at the end. But as I'm talking about um, different things um, here, there's just a lot of opinions um, about sound, and everybody's ear is different. But I think there's some things that we can um, all agree on that are that probably sound better than other things. And uh, so as we're going through this, I'm just going to be talking about things that have been really helpful for us here at Calvary Monterey in our main sanctuary with our board, with the way our room is tuned. And so if you guys have any questions about your room or if, if I say something about an EQ that you're like, that does not work for our room, um, please ask a question as I'm talking. Raise your hand and I'll um, pick on you. And uh, I'd love to be able to talk about that. I'm sure we're all probably going through similar things, you know. So let's get into it. Let me pray for us, and then we can uh, get right into it. Lord, thank you for the gift of music um, in the church. Lord, I'm so thankful, God, that you are a God who loves to hear us sing and praise you with instruments, and you like it to be loud and full and um, glorifying to you. And so, Lord, I, um, I want to come before you and just thank you for that. And also, Lord, I just want to ask for um, your guidance and your grace, Lord, as we're talking about these different things with running a soundboard, with running an effective rehearsal, and all these different things as we prepare to um, lead your people 
and music. And I just pray that you would um, speak to our hearts, Lord, and that you would um, encourage us, shake us up a bit, Lord, if we need to be shaken up, and um, help us to be just real effective servants and leaders in our different churches. And um, I pray that you would really help this time to be a time where um, that kind of heart change and maybe some mental shifting happens. So, Lord, we love you, and uh, we just want to glorify you with um, the opportunity we have, Lord, to um, to serve you in this way with um, sound. So, we thank you for and pray for this time. In your name, amen. Amen. Cool. I've never run a, um, a keynote before, but we're going to try this out. Okay, cool. That works. So, first thing, let's talk about personal preparation for a sound man, um, or sound woman. There's a couple women in here, too. Um, sound engineers. Let's just go for that. So, as you guys all know, sound is one of those things in a church that um, I feel like, at least in my experience, people get thrown into it really quickly and uh, with no training, no guidance or anything. And uh, But it's also one of the things in the church that probably needs the most training and the most guidance, the most direction. And... Um, so to personally prepare for things, I wanted us to ask ourselves just a few questions so we could um, maybe kind of think through in our environments how we could be best be ready um, for Sundays and for rehearsals. So the first question is, why do I run sound? Um, and I think a few things to think about in, in this kind of thing is just thinking about the context of why we're running um, sound. So a few questions for that. I don't have them listed, but you can just listen in. Um, let's see. Whoops, i got to go down a little bit. Okay, so understanding context. Why do I run sound? Who are you mixing for? You know, I think there's a... With, with everybody in here, I think we all probably come from churches where um, there's different age ranges in our churches, different musical styles that relate better to some churches than to other churches. Here at Calvary Monterey, when I'm thinking about um, the context of our mixes, I'm thinking about the people who are here. We have a lot of younger families. We have um, a lot of people in the military, people who are um, just getting their walk with the Lord kind of started. And we also have some older people here, too, who like the hymns and like um, not really be super loud. Um, so we have this kind of mix of um, maybe some different kind of ears in the congregation. So I'm always trying to think of who, who am I mixing for and how can that um, uh, determine our mix a bit. And everybody will have a different answer for that in their own hearts and minds, I think. Um, the next thing is knowing what kind of band are you mixing. Are you mixing um, just a guy and his guitar? Are you mixing something like Evan today who had, um, he had two microphones, a keyboard and a guitar? Or are you mixing a full band like we had last night or like we're going to have... Um, this afternoon, I think that's really important for us to know before we even get to a rehearsal. Just know what kind of band are we mixing for. What songs are the band playing? I can't tell you how many times I've been super embarrassed coming into a rehearsal not knowing what songs are being played for that Sunday. Um, a lot of us don't have the the luxury of knowing the songs um, for a Sunday morning. Maybe some of you guys can relate, but um, I've done sound before where. The worship leader comes in that morning with his stack of papers and his guitar and just kind of figures it out on the spot. And you don't know what's going to happen, but you're kind of just there along for the ride, if you want to call it a ride. Um, 
and just kind of being there to try to support your worship leader. Um, here at Calvary, we have um, a, an online planning um, system called Planning Center, which maybe some of you guys have heard of, where our worship pastor, Pastor Brenton, will put up songs, MP3s, chord charts, and will um, kind of prepare the sound guy in advance, like, hey, these are the songs we're playing. This is what the lead instrument's going to be for this song. Please make note of this um, when you're mixing. Um, and that's super helpful. So I know not all of us have the luxury of that, but having that kind of connection made with your worship leader beforehand, just knowing what kind of songs are going to be played um, during that rehearsal. And then just knowing kind of the um, the standards of your leadership. You know, here at, at our church, we get a lot of insight from our pastors with the way things sound here. And so... Um, just in, as we're just trying to understand context, I think it's just really important just to talk to your pastors about what um, what they're hoping to hear from on a Sunday morning, and uh, just being able to kind of come under that authority. It's really easy as a sound per, a sound guy or a sound woman, sound engineer, to kind of start just mixing just how you want to mix, and just to think like something sounds good. Like I like a ton of reverb on the drums. I love it on the snares. Just put a ton of reverb here. But maybe that's a little distracting to people. And it's nice to be able to know um, from your leadership kind of down, like they probably won't know all the terminology that you use to um, run sound, but just to know like, what they're looking for a bit. If they say they want it full and loud, makes it full and loud, you know. If they want it quieter and um, with kind of more dry, just kind of know, like, okay, I need to tone down things and may need to take off the effects of um, some different instruments. So all I have to say... It's just really important just to know kind of like where you're coming into. Um, really the goal of a sound man is to, I believe, it's one of the biggest serving opportunities you have in church, to serve the people of your church, to love on your church, and to um, really help people be able to sing. I feel like the role of a sound man is really just like, really, in a, without being in front of everybody, it's really leading people into the presence of God through the way that you're mixing and through um, the comfortability of people being able to hear God's word and to be able to sing along. So understand the context where you're getting into um, with your mixes. All right, how do I run sounds? I think we kind of covered that a little bit. Let's talk about how can I connect with the team. This is something that I feel really strongly about, um, being on both sides, leading worship and being a sound man, is that um, I've been in so many situations where it feels like the worship team on the stage and the sound engineer are on two totally different teams, two totally separate pages, and um, there's just no um, connection there. There's Maybe the sound engineer gets there, runs rehearsal, and bounces out right when the last song is finished, or... um, Maybe the worship team has a hard time just connecting with the sound engineer. I, I don't want to blame it on anybody, but I think it's really important as us being servants to our church, being able to take that um, kind of low route of being a servant and making that first initial step to connect with the worship team and to um, connect with your worship leader and to just try to be a, be a part of the team. There is that distance between the stage and the a soundboard, but man, to be able to bridge that gap by making those connections before rehearsal, by if you have a talkback mic, using that talkback mic to your team and um, really connecting with them. Getting, ahead, getting with your worship leader ahead of time, 
asking about what kind of songs he's le- he's listening to or she's listening to, kind of getting a feel for what maybe they're hoping to hear in the mix. Really anything you can do just to make that connection. If you have water bottles on campus, if you can just bring water bottles to the team, that will open up so many opportunities for just great connection. And I can't... I, I remember doing that um, one of my first years of running sound. I knew we had these little water bottles in the back room. And I was like, I'd like to just be able to make a connection with these these guys, made us a little bit better. I'll bring this water. I don't even know if they want water, but I'll bring it to them. And then seeing that, seeing that I just cared about them, that I was there for them, I was there to be a part of the team, really opened up a ton of opportunities, especially when I had any input for the way things were sounding. Um, man, it just totally, um, I feel like it just breeds like this culture of love and confidence in each other, which is just so important. So always be asking yourself that. How can I connect with the team? It's a huge part of um, preparing for rehearsal. So in my mind, as I'm thinking about being the sound guy at rehearsal and personally preparing for um, rehearsal, my main goal is to build trust in our relationships with our worship leader, team, and congregation. And uh, I really believe that by building this trust, we are showing God's love to our team, to the worship leader, and to the congregation, and are therefore placed in a, place, in a position um, to point people to Jesus. And that's the ultimate goal, right? I hope we're on the same page with that. The ultimate goal of Running Sound is to be able to push people back to Jesus. All right, so I just wanted to talk about that. I think it's just really important just to talk about where our hearts are at um, as far as being um, in this role that we have. So now let's get into some more of the technical things. Any questions about personally preparing for a, for rehearsal? How many of you guys have a weekly, not Sunday morning, but like a midweek rehearsal? A couple of you guys? Cool. How many of you guys rehearse just Sunday morning? You never know what's going to happen. How many of you guys set up Sunday morning for... Um, you have like mobile church. Wow. Lots of respect for you guys. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. That's cool. So um, so for you guys, especially, sound check is super important. Um, but let's talk about sound check real quick. How many of you guys uh, have a time of sound check separate from rehearsal? This is not like when people are going through songs, so it's more of like a line check. Anybody have the luxury of doing a sound check? Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah. You never really know if it's really a sound check or not. <laughs> when I'm talking about sound check, I'm talking about making sure that channels are patched correctly, that lines are coming into um, your soundboard, and that gains are set properly, that the monitors are working. One of the hardest things is to go straight into this rehearsal, right? Um, sometimes, I mean, it causes a lot of frustration, I, I feel like, in, in my experience at least. Um, just going straight into rehearsal. So let's just talk about sound check for a second. And if you guys don't have a sound check kind of in place, I'd really encourage you guys as the sound engineer, as part of the worship team, to get along with your worship leader or just to stop them after rehearsal someday and talk to them about setting aside time specifically for a sound check. That's been one of the hugest things for um me and Josh. If you guys don't know Josh, Josh played keys last night. He's also one of our um, sound guys here. And um, we usually on Thursdays, we have a Thursday rehearsal. And so Thursday we try to get together and patch everything correctly, make sure things are coming into the board. 
um, so that when we get to rehearsal, it can just be, you just go right into it. It's just a matter of mixing levels and things like that. So this might all be pretty straightforward, but um, first thing I want to ask are, are all the instruments patched correctly? Um, this is especially crucial if you're going from, depending on how big your church is, if you have your instruments on stage, a stage snake that connects to your sound board and then to your speakers, that's really important because you have a few different lines of kind of communication between your instruments and your board. And so kind of making sure that's all um, going. Does everybody, does everybody use a, a stage snake? Everybody know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a stage snake? A couple of you guys? Okay, cool. Um, sometimes here, uh, we actually have a little one right here. But um, in some of our smaller rooms, we just have a soundboard that just go, we just run a really long XLR cable or something to our soundboard, and uh, it's really easy. But um, good, I'm glad you guys kind of know about that. Um, and then the next thing, as you're just getting your patches all done and making sure that there's a signal coming to your soundboard, I think this is kind of the make or break of your signal, and this can really affect your rehearsal is um, asking yourself, are my gains set properly? This is one of those things that um, there's a lot of different philosophies on how to set gain structure. And um, what I'm talking about when I say gain is um, just the signal that's coming into your board. Um, if, you, if you have like a little meter on your board seeing if things are clipping, maybe you just have a little, a little word that says clip or something and a little red dot if it hits in the red, but really what I'm talking about when I'm talking about setting gains properly is just making it, you're just getting a strong signal into your board, something that you have some headroom with when you're um, moving your sliders up and down, and uh, just making sure that the instrument is coming in, that the, full, the fullness of the instrument is coming into your soundboard. Um, what we try to do here at Calvary, this is just one thing that we're trying to do as a practice, is we try to set our sliders on our soundboard up to about unity and try to set our gains um, so that when the slider's at unity, we're getting a full signal. It's not clipping. When I say clipping, it's not going to the red. It's not distorting in your ears or anything like that. We try to set it to unity and set our gains um, to kind of just be real full at unity volume. And what that does is that gives you some um, headroom to go up. You have some, some like kind of... Um, a little more room just to bump up the slider or to bump it down to the, one of the issues we've had in the past is trying to set our gain and then set our sliders. And a lot of times that happens for us or what it means for us, like say you're micing a snare drum and uh, the snare is already really loud in the house, um, but you want to maybe just put it through your speakers just a little bit for the liveliness of it. Um, we use a dynamic mic on our snare drum. So um, we, get, we get just a real, real loud sound into that channel on our soundboard. And so what I've done in the past is I've tried to get the gain up to a real nice full level, but that means I can't really turn up the slider a whole lot because it'll kill everybody's ears for sure. So um, what we try to do in the snare, the drums are kind of a special instance, but we try to get it to where our sliders can be around unity, set the gain to kind of match that, um, hopefully there you have some more just flexibility with your sliders. So um, that's, that's what we try to do. I feel like it's worked good for us so far. 
we tried. We actually just started more doing that within the last um, few months, the past year. I think it's been pretty decent. And the last thing that you want to ask for sound check is um, just seeing if the monitors are working. How many of you guys use stage monitors that actually audibly push sound at you? Cool. How many of you have a monitor? Even have monitoring systems? Does everybody have some type of monitoring system? Okay. Anybody use in ears? Matt, use in ears. Cool. In ears is probably the easiest way to do it because um, you don't have any stage noise. But for those of us who have um, actual audible floor wedges projecting sound at us, um, that's a whole other thing for rehearsal. But um, just making sure that your monitors are working that each channel is coming into the board is able to get pushed out to your monitors um, is just super important. In our um, overflow building where, where we'll have lunch today, uh, we have a couple of floor monitors and they're powered by a different system than our soundboard. And so um, something that's happened in the past is that um, we've gone to sound check and sound check sounding great, but during rehearsal we notice that the monitors aren't working. and uh, Maybe we don't know how, how they're powered on or something or don't know what's going on. And it's just more of a nuisance during rehearsal, right? So just making sure that those are all working um, during soundcheck is just so huge. And for those of you guys who are setting up morning of, that's a, um, really important. And I know it's another step to take, but man, it's super important if you do have them. So just make sure, all, just make sure everything's working. Just make sure it's working so when you get to rehearsal, you guys can just run through the songs and you can set your levels. Question. Yeah. What kind of what kind of soundboard are you using? Or do you know do you have I guess what I'm asking is do you have direct monitor sends? To your monitors, or do you use a do you just use a main out to your monitor? No, I, I, I'm assuming I have an okay. assumption because I'm okay. not a sound guy, but I'm assuming okay. that your monitor sounds. Okay. So um, depending on what kind of board you're using, if you're using like an analog board, which do, do all of us use analog boards? Anybody use digital? Digital? Okay. So um, with a with an analog board, it's a lot easier to see, um, but um, there, there are monitor sends from most analog boards, and uh, if you're sending it, if you're sending those two signals out to your monitors, and it kind of just depends what you got going on. If you're trying to daisy chain things together or something, it can get kind of messy and kind of fun. But um, there's, there's, um, yeah, there, there should be special. There should be. I can, I can show you afterwards. We have some monitor sends on this little board over here. Um, that I can show you where you actually just dial in each instrument to your liking, to your monitor. If you're using um, just one of your main outs to your monitors, whoever is there, then you're just going to get the whatever the soundboard is pushing out to the main speakers, you're going to get that to your monitor. And that's always a little bit frustrating at times because you don't really have much flexibility with that for whoever's singing or playing. But yeah, good question. That, that's a really good thing to make sure of. If you're using your monitor sends, or if you have monitor sends, definitely use them. Yeah, question? I just have a question for his question. Yeah. Are, are you asking uh, where to start the levels as far as the monitor mix? Oh, yeah. Uh, it, this, 
You have a, a keyboard and a guitar and so only one monitor, and you've got, let's say, you've got two or three monitors. Mm -hmm. you know, so is it typically just preference? So the, the guitar player says, I, I want the guitar bumped a little bit, everyone else down. Is there a yeah. general um, thought in terms of what's most helpful? Where's, where's the yeah. Make sure Obviously, it's personal, but yeah. just make sure everyone can hear whoever's leading would be the beginning of it, right? Yeah. Are you, are you kind of talking about too, like who's got who's got say over that monitor? Oh man, who's got the most money? Yeah, uh, that's that's super tough, man. If you, uh, I mean, um, are you the worship leader, or are you um, just playing? Yeah, I, personally, um, I think that that decision goes to the worship leader. Whoever's leading the team has the final say in that. But um, that's just me. So um, I would definitely talk to the worship leader about it and um, just see where he, he or she sits with that. And um, but Does that kind of answer your question a little bit? I, 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 yeah, I would always... I've been in that situation before, too, where um, we have one monitor mix and it's getting sent to four different people. We're just daisy-chaining different things to other people. It is super tough, man, especially if the worship leader has the ultimate say in it and they don't want any bass in their monitor, they just want a ton of vocals, no drums, and uh, just like some keyboard and guitar. And um, I'm only speaking from experience because I used to play bass all the time on Sunday mornings, and uh, that situation happened. I could never hear myself play bass, and I was like, I'm just trusting that this is all working out. But I didn't really have much. I didn't have much say in the monitor um, at that time. But I also never talked to my worship leader about it. Should have talked to him about it, but. Um, I think voicing your opinion to him or her and just um, kind of coming to some kind of agreement. I think that comes with the, the connection of the team to the worship leader, too. And, and, and I noticed that you guys are doing that in your... Uh, yes, we all have our own mixes, and it's... Yeah, it is don't have to worry about it. Yeah. 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 I don't know if any church has unlimited money, but... Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. If you're if you're running stage monitors, you have to buy all those amps and everything. I mean, if you're if you're in a place where you're looking for a new monitoring system, or if you're looking for a change, maybe I would suggest I, I'd suggest in ears to anybody. Really, um, they're so helpful. But you also have to have the proper equipment for that. You might have to actually get a new soundboard to do that too. So potentially. Um, Maybe we talk more about it afterwards and kind of figure out your situation a little more. But um, yeah, those are all really good questions. Yeah. So we have the, a worship leader with a very powerful voice, mm -hmm. and then very oftentimes the uh, people that are singing backup mm -hmm. uh, can't hear themselves. Yeah. The monitor <laughs> uh, Yeah. So my voice is kind of loud too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Daisy yeah. Uh, and I can't hear myself because the, the worship leader singing so loud, uh, mm -hmm. especially when everybody's singing. Yeah. Uh, but then he tells me that my voice is clipping, hmm. uh, so he can't turn it up. Yeah. So if it's clipping, what does that mean? 
the sound man or whoever's doing sound has, has told you that before? Or the worship leader tells you that? Oh, nice. While he's on stage. Wow. Wow. That, that's, that's a talent. Um, I hear you. No, I don't think there's like a way you probably can get a very true representation of what's happening in the room. Um, if, you, if he says you're clipping at the, at the soundboard or on his iPad or whatever, that, I think that means that you, he's getting too much signal from you. And that's something he should be able to turn down on his iPad. Um, it's possible he doesn't have to use it. <laughs> I mean, that's really our problem. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. With the modern system, if you're already clipping and you can't hear yourself, the question what are you hearing that you don't need it so much of? Mm. You're better off to remove that stuff in the mix than you are to just keep pushing yourself up. That's a great point. Yeah. One thing that, um, and we haven't had to do this because we have in-ears, but one thing that I've wanted to do, especially in our other building, is to do something a little bit unconventional when mixing, and that's to... Um, Instead of mixing the monitors first, a lot of people, and we've always done this, is mix your, mix your monitors first, make sure you're feeling comfortable, then mix the house. Is actually mixing the house first, and then uh, mix your monitors from that. And the, the, the hope and prayer from that really is that if you're getting a good house mix that the worship leader feels comfortable with, then you hopefully only need to dial in just a little bit at a time of each instrument. And especially if you're having... This is all assuming that each instrument has a decent EQ on it, that nothing's too muddy or um, anything too bright. But um, that's nothing. I'll talk about that too. But I guess for your instance, I, w- I would ask him if, if he if he says you're clipping, that means that the the input gain of your microphone is coming in too hot into his soundboard or onto his iPad. And I would just ask him, can you turn down my gain a bit? On, on my channel. And if he doesn't know how to do that, I'm not sure what to... I guess, I guess find an owner's right. manual. The, the fact that we have such little talent in that area hmm. the testimony to God's leading in that area. Uh, like yeah, every, yeah. I mean, it works yeah. out really well. Even oh, praise God. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like we just have no idea what we're doing. Grace upon grace. Yeah. So good, man. But, like, yeah. when I hear, like, Oh yeah. We can get that effect, hmm. you know, because like our we've got guys with really nice guitars, you know, yeah, yeah. Tailors, mm-hmm. but then when it comes to the sound system, it sounds really kind of tinny and hollow. Huh. And like, yeah. Oh, that that's sound amazing. that they got, that's really sweet. How do we get that? Yeah. I mean, do we have we'll we'll get all into that. Yeah, we'll get all into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna talk about EQ a bit, um, just in a little bit for sure. And that that'll come more when we're talking about rehearsal and everything. Hold on to that question. It's a good one. Um Evan's guitar was really fun to mix. A really fun one. Um any other questions before we go into microphones a little bit? Great questions. Thanks for asking about that with the monitors. That's probably one of the hardest things. That's probably when we're talking about sound engineer connecting with the worship team. That monitors are probably the driving force in between um, between them. So, good questions. 
All right, I just want to talk just a little bit about microphones. I'm not a microphone expert, but um, I know we all probably have seen these three microphones a fair bit um, with our church settings. I just want to talk a little bit about why we use these microphones, what we use them for. Um, the first one is this Shure Beta 87A condenser microphone. This is what Evan was using for his vocal channel. It's a condenser microphone, and it's a, um, a super, it has a super cardioid um, polar pattern on it, which means that, it's, so it's a condenser mic, so it's real sensitive to pressure of um, his voice. So if you notice, Evan, when he was singing, he would sing his quieter stuff like right up on the microphone. And when he'd sing those high notes, he saw he'd pull back just a little bit. I don't know if you guys noticed that. But um, he's super good with microphone control. But he understands that this microphone is very pressure sensitive to the, the volume of his voice. So he'd pull back and kind of um, almost automating his voice with that. And the nice thing about these microphones, and this is a microphone that Josh tries to use pretty regularly, is that they are sensitive, they're pressure sensitive, and that super cardioid um, polar pattern is very focused. So if you see on the on the microphone, I don't think we have one in here, but it's we do have one. But uh, oh yeah, Josh, we got one right here. Cool. Thanks for looking. So uh, this thing's great. It's so good for. Um, for singing, you might, do you guys have a microphone like this? You do. So it's really nice if you have a lot of singers, if you have a big band. Um, these are great because they just pick up whatever's in front of it. Just whatever's in front of it. Um, but they are pretty sensitive, so you have to be careful with your gain on it. Um, we, we notice when we use these, we have to turn the gain down a bit on them. You get bleed on them? Yeah, so it's, it's pretty important. Sorry? Yeah, do you notice it gets? Do you notice feedback issues when you use these? Or have well, it's, you because it, it's because the pattern is so much wider than like a Whoa! Oh my gosh! I'm like falling over. Yeah, super hyper. Did you say super hyper? This is the 87A. Yeah, it's just very. It just picks up whatever's right in front of it. But because it's a condenser microphone, it, if the gain is turned up, it will pick up. It's very, very sensitive. So we we've noticed we have we've had to take these microphones off from where. Um, if you guys noticed last night, Pastor Brenton, he was playing electric guitar last night. He stands right in front of a drum kit. So um, we we don't put this microphone. Yeah, we don't put this microphone. Sir. Not most, but a few of them, yeah. Do you have to use gates, or do you have any feedback? Yeah, yeah, we, we put gates on a few of them, yeah. Um, that's a good... I'll talk more about gates later, but um, Nefertari, who's going to be singing this afternoon, during rehearsal last week, I was playing guitar, and I had a microphone in front of me, and um, she was sitting down, and when she was done singing, she'd do this. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, she had to keep moving, and she's like, what is happening? I was like, never try. You can't put that microphone like right in front of my microphone. It's going to pick up all this crazy stuff. So um, they're super sensitive, um, and we do put gates on um, a couple of our microphones. And I'll talk about that later, but um, that just kind of helps eliminate some 
some noise. Great microphone, though, for especially for singing. We also use uh, Shure SM58s. This is, I was going to say, this is like my favorite microphone. I love these things. Um, the only thing that I noticed between using a, a, an SM58 and an 87A is that um, the 87A picks up a lot more of the sibilance in somebody's voice, so a lot of the tss, tss, tss kind of sounds, and they all they also like more naturally have a lot more bite to them because it's a condenser mic, so you get a lot of clarity. So I usually have to turn down, um, and I'll show you guys some EQs later, but I need to turn down some of like the high mids on this microphone to kind of compensate for that a little bit, whereas the SM58 is a dynamic microphone. It's, um, it's just a different kind of microphone than a condenser, and it can take a lot more power to it, but it's also got, um, it's not as um, responsive in the higher frequency ranges, so I usually need to bump up the high mids um, on those microphones. But for vocalists, this is what we put on Brenton right in front of a drum kit. I think it sounds great. I love this thing. And we also use the Shure SM57 for um, for instruments. We had to mic a guitar with one the other day, and um, we mic our snare drums. A lot of our percussive instruments have, well, only a couple of them have that microphone on them. But great microphones. If you guys are looking to get microphones more on a budget, the SM58 and 57 are awesome. You can, you can do pretty, you can do like everything, I feel like, personally, on them. Yeah, yeah. You see the Rolling Stones throwing their microphones around, banging them on people and stuff, and they're all dented. They're using the SM58. These things just last through everything. Uh, especially guys who are setting up on Sundays, moving gear all the time. Dynamic microphones are just so great for that. Yeah, where this one you do need phantom power, you need um, that plus 48 button on here because um, this isn't powered itself. <clears throat> These guys can take a beating too, but you want to be a little more careful because they're more expensive. So, All right, cables. You guys probably already know about cables, but um, just to clarify, when I'm talking about XLR cables, sometimes they're called as microphone cables. It's the one right here on the right. Um, you have to use XLR cables just going into your soundboard, obviously, and you can use a quarter inch or instrument cable as well, but you get a real just um, stable signal from your XLR cables. And quarter inch cables or instrument cables, you'll see like all of our keyboards, um, guitars will use them, and everything. Certain speakers can use them, yeah. And uh, I didn't put them on here, but speak on cables will go to speakers. You can plug in a quarter inch cable into a speak on kind of thing. So for kind of like the bigger heavy duty um, main monitors or speakers you use. <clears throat> Everybody familiar with using these kind of cables? Cool. And direct boxes. Um, sorry? Love this thing. Love that thing. It's awesome. It does exactly the same thing as this one, but this one has a lot more buttons on it and looks a little prettier. <clears throat> it does a lot more. It does a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, it does a lot more, actually, honestly. And it sounds great. It's just so clean. Um, but same principle. All they do, they convert um, a signal that you're putting through a quarter-inch cable Yep, and it changes it to the XLR cable that you can plug into your soundboard. I'm not going to talk too too technical to you guys because I want to just make it so it just kind of makes sense to you guys. But um, 
Plus, I don't know how to talk and all the technical jargon. But um, it'll convert your guitar instrument cable into an XLR cable to your soundboard. But those are just a couple that we use here. We, we love these ones. And um, JDI is a great brand if you guys are looking for a direct box for um, your main guitar or something like that. JDI makes some great direct boxes. They're really quiet. Um, don't get much um, buzz or hum. And if you do get some buzz or hum from like your guitar or keys or something like that, um, there's some great little um, buttons. I can talk to you more about them later after the session if you want. Um, some things to kind of help your signal flow. They got a lot of great functionality on them. And the one on the left is great. Just does one thing. Just changes it. Just converts the signal. They're awesome. And it has a ground lift on it. All right, so those are all things, I, I want to bring those up because those are the things during your sound check, you want to make sure that you're using the right microphones for whatever instrument you're using. You want to make sure you got the right cables going on. <laughs> I'm just holding a microphone like I'm holding a microphone. Um, <clears throat> pantomiming over here. But um, you want to make sure you got the right direct boxes and anything you need to use um, for whatever instruments you got going on. So that, when you get to rehearsal, you're just unmuting things turning sliders, and this is like the real fun part is when you get to get into EQ and um, getting your volumes all set. All right, so the three questions I always try to ask myself um, with rehearsal, again, we have a midweek rehearsal, so th these are things I'm asking myself during a midweek re rehearsal. What's the best level for each instrument in the mix, in the context of the mix? Do I need to adjust any EQs of instruments? And where can I tighten up on my transitions? Do we have our next session at 12? Or we have lunch at 12.15? I'm going to try to go real quick through the rehearsal. Um, but um, basically, <clears throat> the first question is, what's the best level for each instrument? So right when you start rehearsal, obviously things are sounding crazy. There's probably some weird EQs on people's voices. You can't hear some things. Um, those first two songs, I feel like, are just kind of scrapped. You're just trying to get things um, just dialed in. That's when you'll probably get the most feedback from your worship team as well, if they can't hear anything. Um, so those first two songs, aside from just getting the best level, just be real patient and gracious with your worship team. Be talking with them, communicating. Um, those are That's a huge time in rehearsal is to get things dialed in. But uh, as far as getting the best level for each instrument... Um, one thing I try to think through when setting your levels is just kind of priority of instruments. So if you look here, we, we, we try to do, as far as our mixes go, we try to mix our bands kind of like a more like modern like rock band or modern kind of like pop, rock, worship, whatever you want to call it, contemporary worship bands. And uh, typically, if you listen to like a CD of like, say you grabbed Evan's new CD and listened to the instruments on his CD, um, we, we do a little bit different because we're in a live setting, obviously, but we try to structure things similarly to kind of get that same kind of just feel, you know? So the first thing I'm trying to do, I kind of go from the bottom up here. So first thing I'm really trying to dial in is the drums and bass. D does everybody, how many people actually have a drum set you try to mix? on a weekly basis. So a couple of you guys. Okay. So this goes for cajon too. Um, any kind of percussion you got going on. Try to keep this as like the bass level. Like this is what people are feeling. This is what's bringing a lot of energy to the mix. Um, I try to build off of the drums and bass. And I'll show you guys a couple of EQs. I think, uh, okay, we'll talk about EQ in a second. 
um, drums and bass at the bottom. I try to mix the acoustic instruments, like the acoustic guitar, in around um, the drums and bass. Uh, one thing we do here that not, not a lot of people do is, um, but you'll, you'll hear it in like a pop mix of like a song or something, is we try to mix, well I try to mix our acoustic guitar um, real close to like uh, where the hi-hat probably would sit in a mix. Um, because the way we mix our acoustic instruments, as far as like a full band setting, is more of like a percussive instrument. So um, our acoustic guitars are a little more per percussive. It'd be a little bit different if we had like a cello, which we sometimes have, or a violin, or something like that. But acoustic guitar, I try to have it a little be be more like on the breathy side of EQ, if that kind of makes sense. Like the hi hats that, tss, 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 and with the strum. Or, with the guitar, you kind of just want to hear like the strum more than like the fullness. So you got this like this like real fat body Gibson, um, but it's in the context of like a full um, band. I'll, I'll actually kind of do the instrument a little bit of a disservice in order to accommodate the band um, and the other EQs and take out a lot of the low end on a guitar, just so you can hear a lot of the strum, that kind of percussive strum. And on top of that, try to put keys and piano on top of that. Um, we do that here because one, the keys are more of like a um, kind of gluing kind of instrument in our mixes, and um, the keys do a lot of the lead lines in songs, and we want those to kind of stand on top of the mix a bit. Um, it, it might be a little bit different if we had a, a, an acoustic piano and wanted to hear um, some different sounds. I probably, I don't know how I'd mix that. It might be a little bit different depending on the band. But then um, vocals, I try to really like, dial in last. As far as um, the monitor mixes for people go, I try to get that set at a comfortable level for the singer so they can feel comfortable during rehearsal. But I kind of try to focus on the EQ of that and the level that lasts because in theory, whatever you, whatever you start to mix last will be at the top of your mix, right? So um, I try to do vocals on top because that's what in a church setting, people are singing the lyrics, they're following the worship leader. just want to really make sure that those are clear, bold, right on top of the mix so that people can really follow along um, with the worship leader. Alright, let's talk about EQ. So, this, maybe you guys have seen this before, this is um, super hard to read, but um, basically what's happening here is, oh my gosh, there's a uh, this is just kind of a freak. So the frequencies, yeah, frequency bands kind of at the top. So you see 20 hertz down at the far left at the very top, all the way to 20k, the far right. These are all just frequencies um, that people can hear um, in your mix. And so underneath that, you'll see that there's these different instruments that, um, according to this diagram, there's um, just some kind of sweet spots of where these instruments kind of typically will lie. Um, there, there's a, there's some flex, a little bit of flexibility in this, but um, it's, it's kind of helpful just to see where, like you say you're mixing a bass, you don't, you don't want to be trying to fit it over in the 2K to 20K region, because the, the trueness of that instrument isn't really even in those, those frequencies. Um, so kind of knowing where things sit, I doubt anybody has a contra Bossum, whatever that is in their mix, but just in case you're curious about it. Um, but some great things, the harp covers pretty much everything, pipe organ covers everything. Um, but this is super helpful to just look at, may reference. 
the main thing that I wanted to point out here is um, these different um, sounds, kind of like um, kind of like terminology for different sounds you're trying to get. So I can I can email this to you guys, or if you want, if you just Google um, frequency, like sound frequency chart or something, this will pop up. But um, you'll see in the kind of low, the very lows, you'll see that there's like some rumble, chest thump tones. And that's kind of around 20 to 40 to 60 hertz. Bottom warmth, boom and punch, around 60 to 250 um, hertz. And then probably my, one of my least favorite spots in the EQ range or frequency range is between... 400 to 1k, where you get a lot of honk and whack and tinny, muddy stuff going on. So that's a really good spot to keep in mind when you're mixing some things. And one of my favorite spots is between 3k to 8k, where you get some crunch and edge. And then um, you get a lot of your um, your air and a lot of the the breathiness of somebody's voice or something in the higher um, frequency ranges above 6k. So I, want, I wanted to talk about that just for a second because we'll be referencing a couple of those different um, words as we're talking about EQ and stuff. Can everybody kind of see that? I don't have my glasses on, so I can't. No, this is no chance. Okay. So it's worth a try. We'll see how this goes. But, um, but if, we're, if we're just trying to gain one thing from this, one thing I try to really do is try to take out things from instruments to, to help the mix rather than add a lot. And if we're talking about taking out stuff, um, one thing I'll be referencing in these different EQs I'm going to show you guys is I try to, for, for some of our instruments, uh, a sensitive area in our room, the main sanctuary, is around 1K. So um, somewhere between 400 hertz to 1K is kind of a trouble area for us. So as you see the EQs, you'll kind of notice what I'm talking about. I kind of dip those out for um, different instruments to kind of poke through and to take out some of the offensive things in people's ears. 1K is real hard on um, people's ears, especially for like, vocals and stuff like that. Okay, kick drum and bass. These are um, some settings we used. I think this is from last... I took all these photos last night. I think this is from the mix last night. So for those of you guys who don't mix a drum set and a bass guitar very often, um, this might not apply as much, but you can do similar things for your or for your um, maybe like cajon or whatever you got going for percussion if you have percussion. The main thing I wanted to point out here is that what we're trying to do with kick drum and bass instruments is trying to emphasize um, the good frequencies in each and then dip out. So dip out frequencies for each. Let me explain. The kick drum, we have it boosted about 3 dB. Can everybody see this a bit better? I'm just going to talk about it and if you get, hopefully you guys can see this. So on our um, channel, this is like what a channel looks like. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff. But notice down here in the bottom with the red knobs, those are the gains for each frequency. And right above it, there's a green knob and that adjusts what frequency you're um, adjusting. So you have high Sorry? Yeah, we we got we got a low. You can adjust the lows, low mids, high mids, and highs. We also have um, uh, filters 
which I'll talk about, which are my favorite things. They're the best. And I'll talk about them last because they're the best. Um, but basically what we're trying to do, did I answer your question? You, you sweep, yeah. On a lot of soundboards, you'll get, um, you'll get one high knob and it's set from a certain, um, frequency set. Um, high, high, mid, low, yeah. So it isn't, may not as, you can't tune in just exactly like this, but, um, the principles I'm going to talk about go across all soundboards. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to boost the kick for, in this instance, we're, instance we're trying to boost at 80 hertz a bit and then take out some stuff around 630 hertz we're just we're, we're boosting it in 3 3.35k to kind of get a little more bite so you can hear like the beater of the kick drum a little bit more and not doing nothing for the highs the, the goal for this eq was to just get something that um really emphasized the thump of the kick drum so um Hopefully you guys were able to hear that a little bit last night. Hopefully it was like a little more like thumpy. You could feel it in your chest a little more. Um, we tried to make that happen by boosting 80 hertz. It's kind of like a sweet spot for um, for thumpy instruments like a kick drum. And then uh, we we took out a little bit of like the, the a lot of like low end rumble. It it might feel like a lot of low end rumble is happening below like at the very lowest part of your frequency um, range. But oftentimes we've noticed in our mixes, a lot of the, the low ring that you'll hear comes between, um, especially for the kick drum, was coming between like 600 hertz to like 1K, kind of, more, more like 800 hertz. But so we did that out a little bit just to get the thump without the, that kind of like rumble kind of going on. And I boosted at 3.35 to get that kind of beater head going on. And so what we try to do with the, with the bass, um, is we try to cut out the frequencies that we're boosting in the kick drum so that they kind of complement each other. Hopefully that makes sense. So like for this one, um, I'm just going to talk about uh, high-pass filters real quick, even though I was going to talk about it last. We put a high-pass filter on the bass. On your guys' soundboards, um, there should be a, a little button, if you're using an analog board, a little button that has a shelf looking kind of symbol, it goes like that. What that does, it's called a high pass filter. And depending on your soundboard, that'll cut out a certain amount of frequencies on your channel without adjusting the, um, the frequency gain of that channel. So what's happening is that we put a high pass filter, hit that little button essentially, at 80 hertz. And what that did is it, it's it's cutting out everything below 80 hertz. Really, in this one, it's, it's kind of rounding them out instead of just like a drastic cut, in order that the 80 hertz from the kick drum is heard um, more clearly. And then on the bass, we're boosting it at around 180 hertz. That's we've noticed for our bass that that's kind of a sweet spot for our bass as far as like the real like girth of the bass. So we boost it around 180. Um, and that's not really being affected by the kick drum so much. Uh, it's just not really. But um, we also took out around 1K, just uh, one, 1 dB of gain out of there. Added a little bit of um, the high mids, 3.15K, to kind of get a little more of like the attack of the bass, so, um, so you can distinguish the notes a little bit more. 
I'm not sure why we took out something around 16k, but that must have had a reason for that. But um, pegged. Uh, oh, do you mean it just like rolls out everything above that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, not there's like general rules of thumb for each instrument, obviously, but um, like I said, our room, it's not tuned perfectly, and I, I bet a lot of us can probably relate to that. Our rooms have certain things that just hurt our ears, or maybe some things that like really accentuate an instrument. For us, we... Sorry? Drive rack. This guy knows what he's talking about. All right, all right. That sounds good. Okay, cool. So other than that, I just want to show you the EQ that there's a couple other things going on with this instrument that we don't need to talk about right now. But basically what I was trying to demonstrate with that, with both of these EQs going on, is that we're trying to emphasize some things in each instrument at the same time cut those things out of the other instrument so that both instruments can both be heard and distinguishable. Because one of the hardest things with a kick drum and a bass guitar, maybe you've noticed, is that they sound like the same thing sometimes. And uh, that's one of the fights we have to kind of just fight during rehearsals to make sure that whoever's playing, um, that their instruments are being heard and complemented by the other instruments. And um. Yeah, same subs, yeah. And the Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really just don't want to lose clarity um, in your mix. This is, a, this is an easy spot for things to get real muddy real quick. Especially if your pastor is saying, hey, I need to thump a little bit more. Can you like, can you turn up the kick a little bit? And you're like, oh, I can, but you won't be able to hear the vocals at all. This, is, this will help, you know, just kind of distinguishing which instrument is going where. This this is not truth. This is just ideas and uh, everything. So t- take it back to your your zone and see if that works. Also on the kick drum, we did put a high we put a high pass filter on the kick at 30 hertz just to really emphasize the 80 hertz. So it kind of cuts everything lower than 30. Really, just grab the 80 hertz on there. All right, acoustic guitar. So this is an EQ like I was talking about. This is um, th- this is for a guitar that's being played um, with a band. Um, this the EQ kind of takes out a lot of, like the make the bite or like the may may a word it would resonate as like the attack of a guitar and kind of make it more on the breathy side. So you just hear just like the strumming pattern of it. So, Same frequencies as the vocal 
Yeah. So this EQ is um, the goal for this EQ is to one make the guitar a little more breathy sounding, a little more percussive, and it's to not conflict with the vocals. Because um, I usually boost vocals depending on who's singing and what microphone they use between that 87A or the SM58. I'll boost at three, around three to four K to get um, some more clarity out of somebody's voice and dip out those frequencies from conflicting instruments like the acoustic guitar or keys um, so that the vocals can stand out more. And so you don't have a ton of buildup in that high mid-range. So that's kind of what we got going on here. Got a, a filter on there at 100 hertz. The nice thing about a digital board like we have is that you can dial in your, um, your high-pass filter. Like I said, on a lot of analog boards, you have just one. It's at like 120 hertz. Just You just hit it, and this is what you got. And that's actually, honestly, really nice a lot of times, just doing like 120 or something. But um, that's what we got for the acoustic guitar. Any questions on acoustic guitar? What? You're done with the acoustic guitar? <laughs> but, oh, I'm not done with the acoustic guitar. So Evan's guitar. Let's talk about Evan's guitar real quick. So... Evan was leading, obviously, by himself last night and this morning. And um, as we were doing sound check with him, uh, we asked him, hey, do you want your you want your guitar to be like more like thumping, or you want it just to be just like a kind of a standard guitar, just like an acoustic guitar sound? He's like, no, I'm leading by myself. Like, make it sound a little fatter. If you guys noticed, like, when he went down to like a palm mute kind of thing, you heard a lot of boom, boom kind of things. Yeah, so we put his guitar actually through the subs. So it's not... Yeah, I don't have it on here, but um, we have we had his guitar coming through both speakers and through the subs, and uh, what that did was it um, it helped him to get that thump that he was looking for. And I think we also might have boosted his guitar a little bit in the high like the high mid around. I'm actually not told, I don't remember exactly where it was, but we tried to add a little more crispness to like his strings, but when he went down to like a palm mute or something like that we tried to get through the subs so um honestly his guitar is really easy to eq yeah do you uh do you have a crossover or is it all within the digital board that you can send it to the subs and the mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it's not like an on-stage crossover right no like analog, it's all done through the board yeah and you send how much proportions you want to the highs versus yeah yeah good yeah good question if if you guys have a subsystem, um, they all, they interact differently with analog boards and digital boards. But for say talking about it, our digital board, you can kind of emphasize what frequencies you want to go through the subs. Um, and I think we have them. Set, I can't remember exactly what we have them set to, but we have our subs like we tell our subs to engage at a certain frequency, so you get like that thump more. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So for those of you guys who have maybe just like one guitar player at your church and he's just singing, if you, if you have a subsystem, it's really nice to be able to um, kind of get a, made a fuller range of that guitar by putting him through the subs as well. That's what we did for Evan last night and for his keys too. That kind of allows you to take out some of the more mid stuff and still get like kind of a full spectrum of things um, without losing a lot of like the body of the instrument. All right, piano and keys kind of do a similar thing. Um, Josh usually plays keys for us, 
and his keys sound awesome, but I've noticed in the past that they sometimes I won't be able to hear Pastor Brenton sing as clearly because of um, the key riffs or just like where he's playing. Just kind of like, would you say you play more like in the middle? Like, it just depends, man. Just depends. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes those ranges just kind of conflict with the the human voice a bit, and so being able to dip out not not a ton, but really finding a specific frequency that you're trying to um, maybe boost in a vocal channel, and take that frequency, take it to your piano or your guitar or something, and take it out of that instrument. What that allows is just like some room for your vocals to cut in. So um, we have this taken out around 1K and around 3K for our setting. I I think it sounds real good. Um, No filter on there. Just get everything. Get everything you can. And this is our vocal channel. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Let's just talk about it for a second. So um, we... uh, what we try to do with our vocal channels a lot in our kind of situation against full, a lot of times full band is um, try to really emphasize the high mids of, of people's voices. We just noticed that um, you're able to to hear like Pastor Brenton. If you probably heard him speak already, he's got a real just like smooth, chocolatey kind of voice, and uh, he's such a good like on mic like radio guy. It's insane, but. In the context of like a band setting, like if he was singing, let our praise be your welcome, his voice, like his voice would just be like, the whole time. And so what, what I always try to do is boost him around 3.5K to give him a little bit more clarity in the mix. So it kind of, it, it depends obviously who's singing, what microphone they're using. Um, like the gentleman who was here, uh, I'm not sure what his, he said his voice sounded a lot like has a more low mid kind of voice. I would, I would probably, just depending on um, where he was trying to sit in the mix, may try to boost him a little bit in the higher register so there's some more clarity. It, w- it, w- it wouldn't take out the natural character of his voice. I wouldn't dip out anything maybe um, on his voice, but I would try to maybe add a little bit of clarity. Maybe I would do something like this actually and maybe dip something out around seven. 700 hertz to kind of take out that low rumble again, like we were talking about with the kick drum. Um, basically, all this is is just trying to get rid of any low rumble in somebody's microphone. It might not even be in their voice, but in the microphone, um, when, when you just get a ton of microphones going on, the possibility for just that low rumble, you guys have probably heard that in your mixes before, um, is um, it, it's oftentimes caused by um, just keeping a lot of lows in your microphones. So we try to cut out a lot of that, got a pretty decent high pass filter on it at 133 hertz. And also it looks like um, it looks like we dipped out 7 dB again at 500 hertz um, just to really just smack all those lows out. Um, yeah, I got, I got a decent compressor on there. Yeah, and I can talk about compression here in a second. Okay, so this is my big slide. Put a high-pass filter on anything that isn't a bass instrument. Seriously, though, just do it, okay? 
Yeah, I, I don't put a high pass filter on our keys. Well, I did a little, a very um, low frequency high pass filter on the kick. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So depending on your kind of board, man, if it's not a bass guitar, a cajon, um, a drum, a kick drum, floor tom, cello. Basically, just put a high pass filter on your guitars and your vocal channels, and it'll just save you a ton of trouble. Um, I would I'd recommend it for any vocal channel you guys got going on. If 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 you, I'll put my email up here later. If you guys do it this Sunday and you hate it, email me and I'll change this slide. But um, just just do it. Um, all right, let's talk about compression for a quick minute. What time is it right now? All right, we got three minutes for lunch. There's not enough time to talk about compressors, but we're going to do it. So, does anybody, well, let me ask this first, does anybody even use compressors on their boards? A, a couple of you guys? Okay, cool, a couple of you guys do. Are, are you guys using them with analog boards? Like, do you have a separate rack for your compressor? Nice, cool. Anybody use it on their digital board? Anybody have a, okay, cool, a couple of you guys? Okay, so, how many of you guys actually use it on a regular basis or not? Okay, cool, so you guys know what's going on. Awesome. I'm still just going to talk about it just in case you don't have, well, I'm going to talk about it in case you do have a compressor, maybe you've been using it, but you've noticed it's just whacked out your instruments. Let's just talk about it, try to dial it back in a little bit. I'm going to talk about just kind of the bare essentials of it. So the, the purpose of a compressor really um, is to balance out a signal. And what I, what I mean by that is like, say... Um, Okay, well, here's an instance. Nefertari, who's going to be singing today, her voice is super dynamic. She'll talk in a very, she'll sing in a very breathy kind of thing and go, Wah! and it's all on one microphone. And she keeps it right here the whole time, right here. And so you're, you're on your slider all the time trying to make sure that nobody's losing their hearing. Yeah, yeah, so, so I put a pretty decent compressor on her. And the, and the goal for that is to, Taper down a lot of like the higher, um, like I say, just louder signals that she's given us from her microphone. Just taper those in a bit, so that so say this is the very this is the quietest she is, quietest. This is the loudest she is. I'm trying to get it to about here, and turn my overall slider up a bit. Um, and the the purpose of that is that you're not just like trying to jam on your sliders the whole time. Um, it's to kind of just automate that a little bit for you. And so, what I, what I do for vocal channels, I think this is, I, I don't think this is on a vocal channel. No, this is on the kick drum because the gain is really crazy on it. But um, usually what I'll do is, um, if you guys have a compressor, you'll have a couple of different dials on it. Um, usually, um, this left thing over here for us is our input gain. And then see the, if you guys can see that GR at the, on the side, that little level, that's the gain reduction, yeah, and um, that'll show you how much that signal is getting compressed. So I understand not all of us are using um, digital boards, but, but you, don't, you don't want that just overall. You just want it when they're getting loud, right? It's, no, it's, yeah, yeah. Set where you're not seeing the gain reduction when they're breathy. When they're yes. Normal. Yes, yeah. I'm just trying to just to take out like the real high, like kind of like, transients in somebody's voice a bit. So, um, yeah, like you said, not trying to make it just like squash a voice. A lot of times what happens if you turn on a compressor and you don't know how to use a compressor, um, sometimes it could be set to have this really low threshold 
and um, you'll hear somebody singing, they'll be like, but they're like yelling, and it's like, and you can't hear them. Yeah, yeah, totally. So like what happens is that if that threshold is too low, you won't be able to hear any like the life in somebody's voice. It can really, you'll hear people say, um, it sounds like the compressor is squashing something. And that's re- literally, it's like, like whack-a-mole, just like smacking it down. And uh, what we're trying to do is just give a little, just a light tap just to those high parts in somebody's voice. So threshold, I try just to look at somebody's voice or instrument coming in and say for like Nefertari, she's coming in real hot and real low. I try just to dial the threshold back to where it's starting to hit in right towards like the loud parts in her voice. So, that, so the compressor engages when things are getting really loud. And then after setting the threshold, so the threshold just adjusts when the compressor hit, like, is engaged. And once it's engaged, you have to figure out what you want it to do. Usually, I'll take the ratio, and the ratio is, um, it, it tells the compressor when the volume gets to here, when, when the volume gets to the threshold and engages, how much do you want to squash, squash this signal down? Do you want to um, do 2 dB to 1 dB? I think I, sorry, I don't know the technical things for this too. I think that's just like 2 dB. Every, for every 1 dB that comes in, it squashes it by 2 dB. Um, so that's a really light compressor right now. But how, like how much do you want, how many, how many dBs do you want to take out of your signal? Um, and that's what the ratio will do. So set your threshold and then set your ratio, like how much do you actually want to cut out? And then, um, the attack is how fast that ratio will kick in to that channel. And so for Nefertari, sometimes she'll, she'll be singing and it'll get loud real quick. And um, so I, I usually put a really fast attack on her vocal channel, specifically, specifically to her. I put a fast attack on it. So right when it gets loud, the compressor, it triggers, and the ratio punches it down. And then um, usually for her, I won't have an output gain of too much, maybe 0 dB, so it, it's just tapering it down. Or maybe one dB, so that when when the compressor is engaged, when the ratio hits it at the speed it hits it, it then lifts the volume up one dB. So it's trying to normalize your signal essentially. Does that kind of make sense? That's a really fast way of talking about compression. There's um, on ours we have a release knob and a knee. Um, it kind of suggests like how your compressor just interacts with um, your instrument. So I only say that not to confuse you, but if you do have a compressor and you're wondering why it's doing something weird, um, I say turn, to start with something really light, turn your ratio down to me like 2, two 5 or something like that, and then um, take your threshold up so it's not just hitting in right, it's, it's only engaging at really loud points. Um, and, and then from there, start to dial it in and see what kind of feels good. The whole goal of a compressor, compressor is just to even out your signal and um, so you don't have to be just jamming again on your slider. Any questions on that? I don't really have a ton of time for questions on that, but um, cool. All right. Phew. All right. 
Alright, any questions um, about anything before we get going? We're a little over time, but I would love to be able to answer anything. How many Augsens um Gosh, how many do we have? Hmm. You know, I, don't, I honestly don't even know how many. Yeah. Got a good bit, though. A good bit, enough. All right, let me just pray for you guys real quick and let's go get some lunch. If you guys want to stay back and ask me anything or ask Josh anything, we'd love to be able to answer your questions and talk to you about things. So, Oh, yeah, here we go. Email. Let's stay in touch. So that's my email, monzo at calvary. That's my, my last name and our website. And um, I'm on social media stuff like everybody else at Riley Monzo. Um, but uh, yeah, stay in touch.